Well, I couldn't find an Easter bunny, but I did find an Easter Dave. Hello and welcome to this week's Urgent Bite, brought to you by the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose and today I'm revisiting Urgent Bite number 156. In that podcast, I looked at volar penetrating hand lacerations and the potential to underestimate them. And at the time, I mentioned I would catch up with Dave Sorrell to discuss further. Well, finally, I've been able to sit down with Dave to discuss this, and we also looked at a few other hand injuries as well. So welcome back to the podcast of the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose, and I'm joined finally for the first time, I think, in 2023 um, by our Director of Clinical Training, Dr. David Sorrell. Hi, Dave. Hi there. Welcome back. It's been a while, but um, I th- mentioned uh, a while back in a urgent bite I did on flexor tendon lacerations that I'd have to get together with you to discuss that. And the discussion morphed a little bit into hand injuries in general, particularly ones that are easily missed in urgent care. So um, that's what we're going to have a chat about today. Um, let's start with the flexor tendon laceration because I mentioned a case that I had that didn't look too severe from the outset. It looked like a fairly minor wound on the volar aspect of somebody's thumb from gripping a glass that broke. But then on examination and both clinical and, and inspection, you could um, d- we determined that there was a, a flexor tendon uh, laceration that got um, successfully repaired by the surgeons. Um, and there were a few papers that I mentioned there that talked about how even fellows of hand, hand surgery fellows in an ED setting without surgical lights and surgical field of view and um, extending the wound, etc., weren't able to accurately determine how much of a tendon was involved, which meant my conclusion in that urgent bite was I have to be more cautious now about my um, assessment of these injuries. So what were your, what were your sort of take-homes having read those papers? And it, It's very interesting because I remember over a decade ago when I used to run a practical skills weekend and I gave a lecture, a very long lecture on wound management and created a little uh, mini journal textbook for, for the registrars who went through the training that I put up one slide of a picture of a palm and saying palm up means danger and these, these are injuries that are commonly missed. And, and the points on that, that clinical examination with the equipment we have is very unreliable. Um, and also probably that clinical examination should be repeated. So when I see a hand injury, I'm thinking what could possibly be damaged? And I always go through my own system, checking the nerves first. Um, and you know, I've taught myself and others Uh, digital nerve examination and I'm always looking for a digital nerve exam and when I'm reviewing wounds and change of dressing etc I'm always going to say to myself is there anything that's been missed last time and I do remember about 
10 years ago, uh, I made note of the fact that I saw um, 12 patients with missed digital nerve injuries. Uh, and that was within a year of leaving the hospital uh, where you would see lots of these ones. And, and, and they can be referred at any stage for a, a nerve repair, but you should always take the responsibility on yourself for the previous doctor. So, so the little lessons that I learned myself, are, uh, my examination, although okay, is unpredictable. Beware of tendon injuries and they're commonly very painful. And if you can't explain the pain by the simple laceration, then think this is a tendon injury. Uh, and so we know that function is preserved. Uh, not everyone will have obviously lack of flexion or extension, but they will have painful um, flexion or extension and I saw uh, a, a very innocuous looking wound from glass again just the other day and on one side they had a laceration over the extensor commonus and um, I could clearly see that the laceration entered the dorsal extensor commonus uh, and that on surgical hand review was 90% of the tendon divided and then on the other side of the hand they had a very small uh, volar laceration in the proximal phalanx and the left ulnar digital nerve was completely lost uh, and, and so that was evident on clinical examination but sometimes things are not evident. So I'm always asking myself, is this something that could be missed? Is this something that has been missed? Uh, and I have a very low threshold of referring to the hand surgeons for exploration because I know I'm not that great at exploring these wounds. I think that's the point, isn't it? That you can maintain some function with a partially divided tendon. So what you're saying, you're sort of that one of the key pointers that may be pointing to that for you is pain. So pain on tendon function, pain on extension, if it's an extension side, pain on flexion. And I do remember missing uh, a tendon injury uh, probably 20 years ago now, or 20 plus years ago. And I should have paid attention to the fact that it was very painful to move for that person. Uh, and I note that um, if we were to talk about a particular friend of mine, the fight, bite or closed fist injury, I note that the article that was written in the Urgent Care Journal in the US uh, talked about 80% of disruption of the tendon with still normal function, which is an amazing statistic. So 80% divided, yep. but normal function was maintained, but presumably pain is, that, is the thing that would have maybe drawn you towards yes, investigating yep. that further because I guess that's the, the my take home from those initial papers were that if a hand surgeon fellow in an ED with ring block and the, the equipment that we have in urgent care were not estimating the degree of division of the tendon accurately, then I can't be expected to do it either. And so um, there's that point of when do we refer? We can't refer every patient we see with a hand laceration but for me the the um my, my radar got narrowed slightly and i think what you're saying and which i would agree with is that if someone's got a penetrating wound near their tendon and there's that degree of pain even if there's function if i can't see the tendon injury i'm still got to be very suspicious of one unless i've examined the entire 
tendon to my satisfaction. And when we were chatting the other day about this, that can be in quite a large degree of range of movement that that injury could could have occurred. You've got to check that check it in full flexion, full extension throughout that range of movement, and um, with a decent uh, view of the of the actual tendon, and that can be difficult to do. And that's where probably the errors happen. And and you, you certainly have to think that um, how do we estimate the degree of tendon injury? And I think I am certainly no expert at telling the difference between 20% of a tendon injury and 80% of a tendon injury. Uh, and so those are the ones that, that, that I know are dangerous to miss and difficult to assess. So I guess if we just wrap up the flexor tendon laceration referring back to those papers the other day um, from from the previous urgent bite um, you would have a high degree of suspicion particularly with glass because we've both had a, a, a recent case of glass injury um, but pain on flexion or extension regardless of whether you can see the tendon injury should have a suspicious if the wound when you start to explore it looks like it could be heading in that direction of, the, of that tendon and if you do see a tendon in a wound um, you, would you refer all that you've all tendon injuries that you see because if, if somebody says to you if, if the surgeon says oh if it's only 20 percent we wouldn't repair it what, what, what's your rule on if, if, if you see the tendon is injured do you refer I regardless would now I would discuss every tendon injury I can see or suspect because I don't know what 20% looks like. So that's probably a good take home then. It's, if you suspect the tendon is injured, discuss with the surgeon and our suspicion should be higher than maybe it, maybe mine used to be in, the, in particular if there was that pain in the, in the, the, um, the, the movement of that tendon. Um, so just moving on from that, because as I said, I wanted to catch up with you about that, but you mentioned the fight bite before, and that's a particular injury that might get badly managed in, in urgent care if the clinician doesn't have a, an appreciation of just how nasty these can be. So what is a fight bite? So a flight, fight bite, often caused a closed, called a closed fist injury, is when someone punches another person in the mouth and they sustain a wound to the metacarpophalangeal joint, although it could be anywhere in the hand. And these are particularly important because they have the highest rate of wound infection in any human bites. Uh, so some studies have reported 50% of closed fist injury or fight bites get infected uh, and some possibly even higher. And uh, also there's the risk of joint uh, breach tendon injury and also complex microbial infection where um, there is multiple organisms that may infect the hand uh, often together which make it harder to to manage and there's a big debate about how closed fist injuries should be managed and certainly if you are seeing them when they're grossly infected you really really should be referring those promptly in to a hand surgeon or orthopedic surgeon, depending who takes those in your area. So if let, let's talk about one on day one. So let's say I was out last night in town, had a few too many drinks, and I take a swing at somebody and my fist hits their face, and then I wake up in the morning and I've got a laceration across my 
fifth metacarpophalangeal joint and I'm a bit sore so I rock up to the urgent care clinic and I see Dr. Sorrell. What, what are you, what's your approach in that initial presentation? So obviously history is very important and um, patients are not always going to tell you that they've punched somebody in the mouth. So I will often tell them a little bit of a story if I'm suspicious. So if they've got an open wound on their knuckle, did you hit somebody? Because if you did, it could get very badly infected and we need to consider that. Uh, the range of movement, um, can they fully extend the hand? Is it swollen? Are there fractures? They, they should always have an x-ray with a closed fist injury. Um, am I going to explore a wound on the metacarpophalangeal joint of the hand? Probably not that much. Will I be discussing it with a hand surgeon if I'm concerned that there's loss of function, painful function, swelling? Uh, almost certainly because I think that these should always be taken very seriously and, and discuss to see whether the hand surgeons wants to have a look at it. So you would discuss on day one those cases that have a wound from a, a tooth over a joint with anything more than superficial Yes, anything more than superficial, is it, has it gone into the tendon, into the joint? And bearing in mind that we know that we're not that good at determining how, which ones have breached the joint or the tendon. And, and it's possible the hand surgeon may not want to see the patient. It's possible the patient may not want to go to the hospital. Any patient who is actively refusing to go to the hospital, it's always a good idea to give them a backup plan, like an open letter to the hospital or, or, or an early review. And obviously antibiotics, bearing in mind that this is again a bite, and so Augmentin or two antibiotics are the only sensible antimicrobial choices. So that's the patient on day one. What about, let's say, two scenarios that could occur? What if they've been to a less um, conscientious urgent care doctor or, 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 or uh, somebody without your um, skill level, Dave, and they were maybe not referred on day one, and so they've come back on day five with pain, redness, swelling, pus, or it might be the patient who woke up in the morning with the hangover and decided, now nah, I'll be fine and carry on. So they, 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 either way, they rock up on day five having not been treated on day one appropriately. What, 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 how do they look and what do you do when that happens? So these patients often have uh, a hand that's sort of stuck in the classical claw position. They can't fully extend the hand and they can't close the hand, uh, indicating joint sepsis or tenosynovitis or, or both. Uh, they often have dorsal swelling and volar swelling. Uh, redness, they may be quite unwell and there may even be frank pus discharging from the wound. And then obviously th this may well need a formal washout in theatre like any other injury. So, you know, prompt referral into the hand surgeon or orthopaedic surgeon or plastic surgeon is indicated. Will people feel tempted to, if the wound doesn't look too bad, if it's just a bit red, a bit sore, to give oral antibiotics and and, and treat in the community at that point? And if so, why should they not treat in the community once infection has started to be evident? Once they've got a septic joint or osteomyelitis or septic arthritis, then 
it is going to be very, very difficult to manage without um, either surgical or intensive observation and exploration. And so um, it's, it's going to be very difficult for you to safely manage this appropriately. And, and remember, hand function might not be preserved if it gets any worse than it is now. So of the fight bites that you see, how many do you reckon are, should be referred to hospital? I reckon they should all be referred to hospital unless it's, it's completely full function, superficial uh, abrasion only. Um, I may be overcalling it, but then again, I've seen quite a few really bad ones. Interesting. So that, that's kind of where I was getting to there with my initial questions were that, that that sequence that we may see patients from day one through to day five plus, um, that, that the journey that injury is going to go on, the, the, the journey is towards a surgeon in, in most cases. Um, and I, I certainly can't remember one that I haven't referred because if there's a decent wound, then they've usually got some form of loss of function or um, the exam shows that there's been penetration deep into the tendon sheath, the joint, etc. Um, and when they come back day two, three or four, then um, yeah, that when the infection set in, then, then yeah, they need to be washed out properly and, and, and treated with uh, antibiotics in hospital. So I personally can't remember too many fight bites that haven't been referred on um, and like you say if it was just a graze and the x-ray was normal and you're positive that the wound is very shallow um, then I'd feel comfort com comfortable but um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have too many uh, cases where I could justify managing them in an urgent care setting. Uh, you mentioned the paper from the um, Journal of Urgent Care what was the what was your um, uh, what, what, what was in that that you wanted to to raise? Well, they had a, a number of points in there. There's a high risk of damage to deep structures, including tendons, polymicrobial infections that often do quite badly. Uh, and, um, and it was actually a, a medico-legal type, type case, which gave you, gave you lots of lessons to learn. Um, and, and very similar points that, that I would consider. Consider the mechanism of injury. Um, make sure that the history is accurate. Uh, consider deeper injury, antibiotics, and appropriate timely management. Um, and even if the patient, you know, flatly refuses to go to hospital, think of the safety netting, you know perhaps explaining to the patient that in your experience these tend to go uh, quite bad quite fast and please come back to our service or, or as I say providing an open letter to the hospital for review should it be getting worse so that they've got uh, you know people change their mind uh, sometimes and be quite adamant they don't want to be seen but then you've got to give them the opportunity to, to have an appropriate plan for if things get worse. Some clinics, some hospitals have those hot clinics, don't they? The sort of plastic surgeon or hand surgeon review the following day kind of thing, where they can, um, rather than see them that night, when the, when these of, often happen, they can be seen in a in a hot clinic or, or something like that. But um, yeah, I think the the take home message for particularly maybe registrars, people relatively new into urgent care 
is that these wounds, like the ones we talked about before, the, the little volar glass laceration and the, the fight bite, might not look too impressive on day one. They might not look uh, like they should be a particularly nasty injury. But that tooth has penetrated deep into some tissues. When the fist is closed, everything is nice and tight and, and ready just for... There's not much distance between uh, the skin and the, the, the trouble areas at that point. And the mouth has lots of bugs in. As you mentioned, polymicrobial. Um, you know, there's a lot of bugs that can get in there. So you're injecting lots of bugs into a, a delicate structure. And um, you're really just teeing yourself up for a medical legal uh, problem if we just look at it and either stitch it, give it a washout, stitch it, even if you give antibiotics orally and discharge home, um, it probably required proper surgical washout and um, surgical attention. So we shouldn't really be feeling pressured into managing these in an urgent care setting and have a, a lower threshold for referring. Would you feel that's your where you would fall down on this side of the, the equation. Yep, and it's where the backup plan for the previous doctor if someone has decided to not manage it that way um, to, to make sure that the outcome is the best as possible for the patient. Are there any other hand injuries that look less severe that you can think of off the top of your head? Um, well, I guess the, there is the classic jersey finger, which is a flexor tendon uh, injury, so named after the rugby jersey where the, the finger or hand gets caught in, in the rugby jersey and they get a rupture of their um, flexor tendon, um, which re results in a sort of extended posture and they can't flex the uh, distal phalanx usually. Um, and those, those have to be repaired within a week to 10 days. And so uh, it, it's nothing like the mallet injury or the extensor injury. It's um, uh, an injury that should be promptly referred into the hand surgeon for a surgical repair, even if it's just suspected. Mm, so uh, it would be the history that would make you suspicious here. Because a question I wanted to ask you, and you've mentioned this now with the flexor tendon injury from a laceration, the pain being something that's out of proportion maybe with what you'd expect. Um, if sometimes after any injury there's pain and swelling, and so if someone's got reduced flexion because the finger is swollen and painful, how, what, how can we resist the temptation just to say that that's reduced because it's swollen and painful and trying to bend a fat finger is, is difficult? and therefore think, well, just wait and see. When the swelling goes down, your, your flexion will return. But if the mechanism was the jersey pull, you should probably be thinking, no, there's a, likely to be a tendon injury underneath there and refer on, on that suspicion. Um, did you, what are your thoughts on, on that, the pain being that sort of inhibitor to a full exam to test full range of movement? The interesting thing about the rupture flexor tendon in this situation is it's often not as painful as, say, the cut tendon because it's a complete rupture often. And so you need to you know, carefully examine uh, flexor digitorum profundus uh, in each situation. Um, and arrange backup, you know, perhaps a hand therapy review. Uh, if, you, if you're unconvinced, 
that it's a rupture and then referral if you are convinced it's a rupture. Uh, I don't think that they can be done in private in a timely fashion. So it's one of those things that has to go in um, to hospital. But you're talking about a follow-up there within a few days because this shouldn't go beyond that, that first week. If um, you've identified that it's yeah. ruptured, you refer it just immediately. If yeah. you think, actually, this is moving okay, but I'm just not quite sure, uh, if you have access to hand therapy, that's a really good option to review it as well because they are very good at uh, examining those injuries. Um, and I guess, yeah. My take home then from this conversation, Dave, would be there are injuries of the hand that are subtle and sometimes worse than they might initially look, but that history probably tells most of the story. So um, a penetrating wound from a, a glass breaking, uh, the jersey pull or the, the fight bite all have quite a good story uh, which you can elicit from that history. And then examination must require uh, a, a neurovascular examination and then a proper assessment of the flexor and extensor tendons uh, considering fractures, considering uh, concurrent dislocations and that kind of thing. But ultimately, if there is any any doubt that there is a deeper injury to the wound, to the um, to the tendon, or to the uh, the joint, or certainly the nerve, then referring to a, to a hand surgeon is the better option rather than trying to be brave and owning these, because they can have negative outcomes and you're left holding the baby. Definitely. Does that does that sum things up? That sums it up very very well cool so proceed with caution um and it's and i think it's important for people to probably recognize that it's not being um a failure as a clinician to refer on on suspicion um in all of these things when we refer a head injury for a ct or consideration of a ct if that person's sent home without them having a ct or with a negative ct the these things are not failures on our behalf because the pickup rate is low um we shouldn't be we should be uh, batting for our patient and not, not, not the other way around. So if the patient gets the best care because you referred them and, and it's given 100% clearance, that's a good outcome. If you're not certain, you're, you're gambling basically with both the patient's health and ultimately with your kind of um, relationship with the HDC and your medical protection society indemnity insurers so um so we shouldn't have that fear that so that's why i quite like that you, the way you've described it in your even though you might feel some people might say it's a bit overly cautious it, it you, you've got to have your own rules your own your own sort of threshold and and then refer when you can't uh, guarantee that you're certain this hasn't got a tendon or a joint injury and be comfortable with that yep because we are never going to forgive ourselves if we miss these scenarios or, or at least we slow to forgive ourselves so um, it's all for your own mental health as well uh, and for the patient's well-being in the end yeah. think what would you do what would you want done if that was your relative you know and the best the best care is if, if in doubt get a specialist to have a look and um and and I, personally i feel quite comfortable with that but i think if people follow your kind of methodical approach then you're probably going to have quite a good um uh, idea as to whether this is this is an injury that that needs a surgeon or not it's it's not uh, um you, you're going to pick up things if you are methodical and do everything 
I think retrospectively, when I consider injuries that do that that, that were confirmed, there's always something in the history or the exam that that that, that lights the flag to to say, yep, yeah, that that needs to go. So, um, thank you, Dave. As always, um, let's try not to leave it too long before we talk to you again. Thanks for having me. So do check out Urgent Bite One Five Six if you haven't already, which is linked in the show notes. And I've also linked to the Journal of Urgent Care Medicine paper that Dave mentions. If you have any comments, questions, corrections or suggestions, email podcast at rnzcuc.org.nz. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast. Look forward to seeing you all then. But for now, thanks for listening. <laughs>